Amen. Amen. You could be seated. Well, out of over one billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, there is one star that is more famous than all others. It is the star of Bethlehem. The star of Bethlehem. Uh, the star of Bethlehem is on the cover of so many Christmas cards. It's on the top of our trees. It's on the forefront of our minds as we think about the Christmas narrative, the Christmas star. And I'm told that if you go to the Holy Land, if you go to Bethlehem, there is the Bethlehem Star Hotel, there is the Christmas Market on Star Street, and there on Manger Square, there are stars everywhere. I've also been told that if you go to a local coffee shop called Starbucks, you can get a latte. <laughs> the star is all around this great Christmas story. But the reason the star is so important is because it was pointing to another star, and that star is Jesus. It's what the star signified. It's what the star pointed to that really gives us the great significance of that great star. Over the next few weeks, we're talking about a star is born. And we're going to be looking at some of the great characters surrounding the Christmas story. The first of which is the wise men. Today, I want us to look at these fantastic examples of faith and virtue. As they left their home so many miles away to come and to travel and to find the baby Jesus. So we're looking at the wisdom of the wise men. Who were the wise men? Well, they were imperial counselors in the Babylonian Empire in the East. They were a mixture of intellectuals and religious priests. They were elite. They were skilled in science and mathematics. They also loved astronomy, the study of the movement of the stars, and astrology, the meaning of the movement of the stars. And God is going to use this in a great way in their life. They were stargazing bookworms, and furthermore, they were Gentiles and did not know many great things about God because they were from a foreign place and they did not know many things about the Old Testament and the Old Scriptures. However, they did have what many scholars believe, copies of the first five books of the Old Testament. And this is fascinating because King Nebuchadnezzar, the ancient Babylonian imp emperor, dominated the city of Jerusalem in the book of Daniel, and he took away the most gifted, the smartest, the most talented young men from Jerusalem he took as exiles to Babylon. And Daniel was one of those young men. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel becomes the head of the Magi. And many believe that he introduced the teachings of the Old Testament to these pagan peoples. And so now, many years later, these men as intellectuals have studied the first five books of the Old Testament. And in those passages is a text about the coming of the Messiah and a star 
signifying his birth. <laughs> All of this begins to come together in one beautiful narrative on this first Christmas experience. Well, there's also another individual that we have to talk about, unfortunately. His name's King Herod. King Herod was nasty. He was the ruler of Jerusalem. And when the wise men came to Jerusalem and, and inquired about the birth of Jesus, they interacted with Herod. And Herod was insanely jealous. In fact, the language of the New Testament uses a word. He was, he was freaking out. He was terrified. He, he, was, he, was, he was super concerned that the birth of this little baby would take his throne. Even though the Roman Empire had had put him in authority over the Jewish people, he didn't want anybody to be called the king of the Jews. Herod was a nutcase. Herod had ten wives and he killed his favorite. Now, can you imagine that? <laughs> I don't know how he treated the other nine, but he killed his favorite wife. Um, he also killed his mother-in-law. Now, I could kind of understand that. But he also killed his favorite three sons because he was just so paranoid about losing his throne. There was a saying in the Roman Empire that said this, it was better to be Herod's pig than it was to be his son. No pressure, right? <laughs> Herod was not a very nice guy. And this set him off when the wise men came to inquire about this king of the Jews. That's why he commanded the death of all the little baby boys in the region of Bethlehem sometime later. He was insanely jealous. But back to the wise men, because we'd rather talk about the wise men than the sinister nature of Herod any day. Let's see today the wisdom of the wise men. And I want you to write these five things down today because I believe it'll bless your Christmas experience to think about these things. Because Christmas should fill us, first of all, with a wholehearted pursuit. A wholehearted pursuit. Christmas should fill us with a wholehearted pursuit. What did the wise men do? Well, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, the scripture says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw the star and its rising and have come to worship him. The first thing that the wise men did was that they studied. They studied. Now, in Numbers 24, this is the passage that set into motion their passion to follow the star. Look at this. Um, this is the, the, from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob, and Jacob is another name for the nation of Israel. And a scepter, who has a scepter? A king, right? So he's a king from Israel. And the scepter will arise from Israel, and he will smash the forehead of Moab and strike down all of the Shethites. Now, this passage is, is interpreted as a prophecy of the coming birth of Jesus. And when the wise men saw this amazing star, and they remembered Numbers 24, they said, we got to go check this out. we got to go see 
but they studied, they studied the text, and then they traveled. I mean, here's what's so incredible. They traveled some six or seven hundred miles on the back of camels. I went on a leisurely horseback riding trip this summer, you know, and I was sore for a week. <laughs> That's crazy. Can you imagine riding across the ancient deserts hundreds of miles, crossing the Tigris and Euphrates River, all in pursuit of a star? Can you imagine what the wise men said to their wives? Honey, we're going on a trip. Where are you going? Well, we're following a star. Have you lost your mind? Come on, what's wrong with you? No, baby, we got to follow the star. Well, when will you be back? We have no idea. We're not even really sure where the star is, but we have to follow the star. So they studied the text, man. They traveled the, the long journey, and they didn't give up. They kept, they kept traveling. And then they inquired. I mean, originally they got to the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus was in Bethlehem, which is five miles away. The star originally led them to Jerusalem, and when they got to Jerusalem, they began to ask around, Hey guys, where's the birth of the Savior? The Son of God. The Savior of the world. Where, where, where is He? Can you just imagine them stopping everybody on the streets? Hey, hey we, we, we've got a question. And you know they had to stand out because they were from another nation and they had all of their priestly garb on and they had an entourage. Sometimes we think, well, it was the, the three wise men. You know, well, you didn't travel great distances by yourself. And these were men of, of great influence and great wealth. They probably had a whole entourage with them. A lot of times we think of the wise men as three because there's three gifts. But the Bible doesn't say there's actually three wise men. There's probably many more. They just brought three gifts. Maybe they went in together. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> they come to Jesus and then they inquire because they're still short. They, 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 haven't, gotten, they haven't gotten to Bethlehem. So they're asking around. Do, do you love the passionate pursuit of these men? We're going to study. We're going to travel. We're going to keep asking questions. We're going to do whatever it takes to find the birth of Christ. You know, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your hearts. And maybe today you're a spiritual seeker and maybe you're not a follower of Christ yet or maybe you're kind of a new follower of Christ and the Christmas season is something that's intrigued you. And I hope today that you would be inspired by the, the journey of these wise men, the pursuit to find the Savior. Jesus was not under their nose. They had to dig a little bit to find him. But oh, when they found him, it was worth, it was worth the journey. And every day God wants us to not get close to Jesus, Jerusalem. He wants us to get up close and personal with Jesus in Bethlehem. And five miles away, they find the Savior. But what a great pursuit, a wholehearted pursuit. And when they found him, there was abounding joy. I mean, they had traveled all of these miles. They had made this great journey. They had studied the scriptures. They had inquired of the people in Jerusalem. And, and what happened? Well, in Matthew 2.10, it says, When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. And the star moves from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And when they find the baby Jesus, there was nothing but great 
joy. The other times that great joy are mentioned around the life and ministry of Jesus centers around his resurrection and his ascension. So we got his birth, his resurrection, and his ascension. Great joy. All triumphant, climactic events in the life and ministry of Jesus. They found great joy. And all around the birth of Jesus, there's great joy. I mean, for crying out loud, Mary was so joyful that what did she do at the birth of Christ? Well, when the angels announced it, she began to bust out in song. She was joyful. Simeon was that old, old man about to die in the temple. And God promised him, you'll see the Savior before you die. He's rejoicing. The angels are rejoicing. The shepherds, when they receive word from the angel, the angel says, I want to give you good news of great joy. There's so much joy around the birth of Jesus. And we should be joyful as well as we think about his birth. The wise men could not even express what had happened. All they could do was fall down and worship. Their worship was spontaneous and it was passionate. And they fell on the floor and they rejoiced. And when you have the joy that Jesus brings, nobody can steal that away from you. I hope this Christmas season you experience the great joy that he brings. Because his joy comes in fervent worship. It says they entered the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. They responded with joy and with worship. Now, it says the house. A lot of times when we see nativity sets, we got like the shepherds over here and the wise men over here and the little manger and all that. Actually, when you read the text, the wise men probably did not get to Jesus till he was maybe one to two years old. They First of all, they had to travel a great distance. But second of all, they're in a house. So the baby Jesus is still a baby. He's still small. But it's probably not right after the birth. Okay? The wise men came after the shepherds. The shepherds were there first. The wise men were there second. You know what's something else that's so interesting about the wise men? Matthew is the gospel that is written to the Jewish people. There's over a hundred quotes from the Old Testament in the gospel of Matthew. And Jewish people did not really respect, they were suspicious of Gentile people. And yet Matthew takes so much of the Christmas narrative recording the encounter with the wise men. It's just so interesting. I believe one of the reasons why he focused on that is because the gospel, the birth of Jesus Christ is not just for Jews, but it's for all people. And Matthew inserts this powerful story of these suspicious Gentile pagan people coming to, to worship the birth of Jesus right here. Well, their worship was fervent. It was passionate. Worship is defined as our wholehearted response to God's extravagant love and mercy. And man, the worship experience that these men had when they found Jesus is spectacular. In the ancient world, children were seen more as a nuisance than they were as a blessing. They really were. I mean, today we dote over children, don't we? We're like, they're so cute and all that. Grandparents especially dote over children. Is that right? 
When I was a kid growing up, we didn't have soda and we rarely had candy in the house. When my kids get back from grandma's, it's like, Dad, we had Hershey's Kisses for dinner. I'm like, oh my, what, what does the world come to? We dote over children. Children are kind of seen as kind of like, they were lowest on the totem pole. And yet these men of great intellect, of renowned influence, of great wealth, fall down on their knees and worship this baby. Wow. There's three responses we can have to worship during this Christmas season. We can have a Herod worship. Let me know where Jesus is so I too can come and worship him. <laughs> Herod is the facade of worship. He's the one who proclaims to want to worship, but really, in reality, it is surface, it is shallow, it is a facade. I want to go through the religious motions of worship. I don't really want to worship. I just want to kind of do my own thing. But in, in deed and in, in, at least in word, I, I, I want to worship. We can have a superficial worship experience this Christmas. We could respond like the chief priests and the scribes. In fact, when the wise men got to Jerusalem... They were put before Herod, and they said, where's the, where's the baby? And Herod said, chief priests, scribes, come here. Hey, you guys love the Old Testament? You guys read the prophets? Where's the baby going to be born? And they're like, bang, Micah 5.2. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. The wise men are like, thank you so much for the information. Herod says, let me know, because I want to come and worship him with my swords and daggers, you know. Here's what's crazy. The chief priests and the scribes knew the word of God. They, they knew the prophets. They knew where Jesus was going to be born. And what did they do? They stayed in Jerusalem. They were only five miles away from the greatest event that had ever occurred. And the wise men, however, had traveled hundreds of miles to come and to see Jesus, you could say the chief priests and the scribes, they missed this great worship experience. They were utterly indifferent to the birth of Jesus. Let us not be indifferent to the coming of our king. But there's a third worship experience. That's the worship experience of the magi, of the wise men. They were not indifferent. They were passionate they were passionately pursuing the birth of the Son of God. They were overjoyed. They worked hard to find Jesus, and when they found him, it was all worth it. They found what they had been searching for. Hmm. The scripture says, and when they found him, they worshiped him. That's why we don't worship Mary. The text doesn't say, and the wise men worshiped them. Mary and Jesus. Our Catholic friends love to worship Mary and Jesus, but we worship Jesus, and one of the great reasons is because the wise men came to see the babe of Bethlehem. Only he was sinless. Only he was the one who would redeem people from their sins. 
We don't worship Joseph. We don't worship Mary. We worship Jesus. We don't worship the donkeys. We worship the Son of God. And they came and they worshiped him. They worshiped him. They worshiped him. All worshipers respond in generosity. Now, here's what's beautiful they opened their treasuries and presented him with gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three of the weirdest baby gifts ever given in humanity. Has anybody here ever registered for frankincense? Somebody said, I did register for gold. Okay, I'll receive the gold. Frankincense and myrrh, weird baby gifts. I love baby gifts. I remember um, our kids were born about 16 months apart, and I remember that, you know, Gina was staying home with the kids back in those early days, and um, like on a Saturday, she would say, Ryan, I really need you to keep the kids because I need to go to the store, and I was so nervous about keeping the kids. I wanted to help, but dang, that's a lot of responsibility. You know what I'm saying? One time I called Gina. I said, honey, you have got to get home. You have been gone forever to the store. She said, Ryan, I've been gone 20 minutes. <laughs> Felt like three hours, 20 minutes. But one of the great gifts that bailed me out was the bumbo seat. Does anybody know what a bumbo seat is? Oh, hallelujah. The bumbo seat, if you don't know what it is, it's like a soft plastic chair that like props the kid up, and but they can't crawl away. They're kind of stuck, but they're comfortable. It's awesome. So as a dad, I was so grateful for the family that gave us the bumbo seat because I would just stick the kid in the bumbo seat and give them a little toy, and they were good for long durations of time. It was awesome. Well, needless to say, there was no bumbo seat there at that first Christmas in the manger and then later at the house. The baby Jesus received some fantastic gifts, even greater than a bumbo seat, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold was a gift that was given to a king. It acknowledged the authority and the rule of Jesus. What an appropriate gift. Now, what about frankincense? I hear frankincense, I think about Frankenstein, you know? But frankincense was an incense that was allowed, it was only to be allowed to worship God in the temple, Exodus chapter 30. So it was a special smell that was reserved for the worship of God, it was sacred. Myrrh was used to embalm dead bodies, and we often interpret that as a foreshadowing of the death of Christ. When you look at these three gifts in this regard, they make a lot of sense. And they gave Jesus the best that they had. That's why when we bring tithes and offerings, we, we give generously, we give faithfully, we, we, we give thoughtfully. Because when we give, we don't give to an institution. We give to Jesus. And that's our response to him. Uh, a few years ago, uh, I had a great aunt that died. And, and she was a really awesome lady. Um, she was a very wealthy lady. And I'll never forget when I was in college, 
that we were doing an extended family uh, uh, gift-giving thing, you know, where you draw the names. And, uh, every, you know, everybody was supposed to spend like 40 or $50 on the family. Well, my aunt was very wealthy. And if she drew your name, she blew the budget out, I mean, like, away. Like, truly the nicest shirt I have ever owned I got because Aunt Frances had my name. So every Christmas thereafter, I would pray, Lord, <laughs> let Aunt Frances get my name. Because I had some other family members. If the budget was like 40 bucks, that was like 15 bucks. Does anybody have any family members like that? The mega clearance rack family members. I loved Aunt Frances. She was awesome for a lot of reasons, but boy, she was extra special around Christmas. Love that. You know, when we give, we give as if we're giving to the king. Um, we do so as an act of honor. And I think this is the spirit with which these, these first gifts were given to Jesus. We want to honor Jesus. We want to honor the king. When there's somebody that you love and care about, you, you want to give a great gift because you want to honor them. You want to esteem them, and giving is a huge part of that. Here's the final thing that we see in the wisdom of the wise men, vigorous protection. Now, Herod had said to them in chapter 2, verse 12 of Matthew, let me know when you find the baby Jesus. I want to go worship him too. Okay? Look at this. But in being warmed in a dream, not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. They figured it out. They had a little divine intervention. And they defied the order of Herod. Now this is a big deal. This is a big deal. He's the king over that region. You don't defy the king. If the king says, let me know where Jesus is, you go and inform him. But what did they do? They realized they had a higher authority. They had a higher, they had a higher obligation. And they wanted to protect their relationship with Jesus. Let me ask you a question this Christmas season. To what lengths are you willing to go to protect your relationship with Jesus? What are you willing to do? You know, when I first started walking with God, I realized I, I had to get some new friends. And I love my old friends, but I knew that I could not go where God was leading me as long as I was hanging around with the old crowd. I had to make some changes in my life. Let some things go. Embrace some new things. I had to protect that relationship with Jesus we got to protect our relationship with Jesus from temptation, from busyness, from selfishness, from habits that take us away from spending time with the greatest one of all, the babe of Bethlehem. It's easy to talk about what we should cut out of our lives, but it's also equally important to talk about what we should put into our lives. We should be putting things into our lives that accelerate that enhance, that edify our relationship with the greatest one of all. And therefore, we should do everything that we can 
to vigorously protect his name and our relationship with him and his authority in our lives. The star of Bethlehem, it points, it points to the greatest birth that's ever been known. The birth of Jesus Christ. And this Christmas season, God wants us to know him and to worship him with all of our hearts. Would you pray with me for a moment?